When we're talking about Christian love and biblical, the biblical commands to love, are we talking about just fellow love between Christians or is it a command to love everybody? Well, actually, it's a bit of both. Uh, today's the second week that we're spending on this one passage. Last week, we concentrated on the start of it, verses 9 to 13, which very much talked about the special relationship that should be evident within the church. And the title that I gave last week's message was Your Kingdom Come in the Church. But today we're talking about the command to love our neighbour. And of course our neighbour doesn't only include Christians. And so we're including here a command of how we should love those who are not Christians. And so I've given today's message the title, Kingdom Living, Light in a World of Darkness. But let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open up your scriptures to us today. Lord, fill our hearts with your love and teach us today what this love means for us in a very practical term of living in this world and loving others. In Jesus' name, amen. Righto, let's have a bit of a recap. This whole passage is painting the picture of the kingdom of God. As the kingdom of God is breaking into this world, it is demonstrated in one way by an immense love that binds Christians together. But it's also demonstrated by Christians loving their neighbour. It's still love, but it's different. It's on a different level. And the ways of God's kingdom go very much against the natural inclination. At least that's what I find. Do you find that? God's ways often go very much against our own natural inclinations because we all know what comes naturally. Hey, get them back. If somebody does something to us, we want to get them back. Um, What comes naturally is we love our friends, but we hate our enemies. We heard that with the kids this morning when they were very honest with their answers there. Um, Giving to those who might give back to us. That's the sort of thing that comes naturally. What doesn't come so naturally is loving our enemies. It's blessing those who persecute us. It's repaying good instead of evil. None of that comes naturally. And if what we're hearing about today is a picture of the church in action, well, it's not because we're naturally good. It's not because we're a bunch of people who naturally like to do nice things for other people. It's nothing other than a miracle of God. Uh, And I can speak from personal experience because I'm a very selfish person, naturally. And if there's anything good in me, it's what God is doing. And last week, I said, all of what we've been reading about here, this picture of the kingdom of God, all hinges on the first command that we read in that reading, verse 9, which says, let love be genuine. Whether our love is genuine or not, determines whether what we read today is a difficult, almost impossible command or whether it's a natural expression of the love that we have for, the, for another. And the same is true for the way we relate to those outside of the church. Whether our love for our neighbour is genuine or, genuine or not determines whether kingdom living is difficult and almost impossible or whether it is a natural expression of the love 
that we have for our neighbour. When they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What did he say? Number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then he said, and the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's all summed up with those two commands, loving God and loving others. And if our love is genuine, then everything else won't be quite so hard. So, today we're going to be looking at five areas of loving others. The first is loving the persecutor. There was once a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution named Peter Miller. Any, really, Cam? No. Okay. He lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and he was an acquaintance of George Washington. Also in that town lived Michael Whitman, and he was an evil-minded sort of a bloke who did everything that he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. One day, this Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to death. And when he heard the news of the impending execution, the pastor, Peter Miller, travelled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. And when he met with his old acquaintance, George Washington, Washington said, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, he's the bitterest enemy that I have. What? You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? Well, that puts the matter in an entirely different light. I will grant your pardon. And he did. And so Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. When Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, he taught us to love our enemy. He taught us to pray for those who persecute us. Why? Why would, we, why would he want us to do that? And why would we do that? Because that's what God does. Part of this being a disciple of Jesus business is the transformation that God works in us. God is constantly working on us and constantly transforming us to become more and more like himself. And loving one's enemies is what God does. He did it for you. And he did it for me. It was while we were still enemies that Jesus died for us on the cross. And I'm so glad that God loves his enemies, otherwise he never would have saved me. And he never would have saved you either. Because at one time, we were enemies of God. And God loved us. And now we have the opportunity, uh, opportunity to be like God. And to love our enemies. And I can promise you, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to love those who persecute you. As a Christian, I'm going to make a few promises to you. As a Christian, you will be, be belittled because of your faith. You will be mocked. You will be ridiculed. And if it hasn't started yet, well, maybe you aren't overt enough in your Christianity. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus told us that it would happen. 
And yet what happens to us is nothing compared to how many Christians are treated in the world. All over the world, Christians are being murdered by Muslims every day. In North Korea, they are jailed and executed. In China, they are still being oppressed. And um, I just read something this week that said, so far this year, 1,500 crosses have been removed from church buildings under building code violations. They're just trying to remove the cross from everywhere it can be found. In the last week, we've seen Muslims in Jakarta rioting, demanding the arrest of their Christian governor over allegations that he made blasphemous comments about the Quran. Persecution will happen, guaranteed. And I have every expectation that persecution in Australia is just going to increase and increase and increase. And I expect it'll come from other religions. I also expect it'll come from other special interest groups that see Christianity as their enemy. But if we love people like what God loves them, then we're not going to be cursing our persecutors. We're not going to be hating our persecutors. We will pray for them and we'll pray that they'll be blessed and we will personally bless them. The second way of loving others is to love them enough to engage on an emotional level. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You know what that means? What it means is letting people into your life. It means getting close enough to them that you can engage with them in their life. Um, it means don't hold people at arm's length. When they're sad, ask them why they're sad and share their pain, share their grief and help them to know how Jesus can comfort them through their grief and how Jesus can bring hope to their life outside of their current circumstances. And when they're happy, share their happiness and help them to praise God for the good that has happened to them. You know, sometimes we just don't want to get too close to people because maybe we might feel that we might get hurt ourselves. I know when, um, when I was at Bible college, and they're teaching us about pastoral care, they said, whatever you do, don't get too close to people. You know, because you don't want their problems to become your problems. And I'm thinking, this doesn't sound too much like the Bible picture of pastoral care to me. See, the Lord is calling us to be part of people's lives so that when they're weeping, we would weep with them and when they're joyful, we would be joyful with them. You know, I think one of the reasons that, that we find, sometimes find it difficult to engage with people on an emotional level is because we sort of think, if I'm going to do this, I want to be able to just fix them and make it all better. And we're afraid that we can't fix them and we can't make it all better. And so we don't engage with them on this emotional level. But you know what? You may not have all the answers. Genuine love is the answer. And genuine love engages at an emotional level. I still remember the first time that I, that I ever came across someone in, in a state of raw grief. A lady had just lost her husband to an instant heart attack. And I actually didn't know, do I go and see them 
what do I do? I, I just felt I had to have some kind of wise thing to say to this person so that I could make it all better for them and I knew that I didn't. I just didn't know what to do and I went to visit that person just so afraid of what, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And in the end, all I could do is say, I'm sorry, and just put my arms around her and I just burst into tears at her tears. And that's all we can do. If you know that someone is grieving, that's sometimes all you can do. Jesus encountered the grief of the family of Lazarus. And we have the shortest verse in the Bible telling us what he did. Jesus wept. A third way of loving others is with harmonious and honourable living. And this is true for relationships in the church and for relationships out in the world. What it means is don't antagonise one another. Something that I've found to be true is most of the time, provided that we don't feel that we have to stand up for our own rights and provided we're willing to be a little bit humble and we don't always insist on getting our own way, generally one can live pretty harmoniously with people. But that's not always possible. Sometimes for you to be obedient to God will put you in direct conflict with others. Sometimes it happens in the church where you know that you're being obedient to God and yet others in the church are very unhappy with what you've done and sometimes it'll happen in the world. Now, if this happens to you, don't instantly jump to the conclusion, well, you know, everything's not all peaceful and everything's not all harmonious, therefore I must have taken a wrong turn. Don't jump to that conclusion straight away. Because even in the New Testament church, we see some very strong disagreements as various people acted in obedience to God. It wasn't always peaceful. It wasn't always harmonious. And, and here is a very painful truth. Sometimes obedience to God means that sometimes we won't live peaceably with all. Verse 18 says, if possible. You see, it's not always possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, and it won't always depend on you, live peaceably with all. Love God first, love others second. That's the order of the commands that Jesus said. He said the first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And we must always love God first. And then he says the second is like it. And now we're hearing the painful truth that sometimes the two won't be compatible. And in those times we must love God first. We must be obedient to God. And when we do that, it may put us at odds with others. But the honourable thing to do is always, always to put God first. Always be obedient to God. I had a story once of, of a Christian man who was appointed as an executive assistant to a very powerful and prominent businessman. And it was on his very first day at work, he took a phone call 
for the businessman and, and um, when he told the businessman who it was, he said, tell him I'm not here. And he handed the phone to the businessman and he said, you tell him. Well, his boss was absolutely furious. And when he got off that phone, he tore strips off that young man and he was about to fire him on the spot when that young Christian man said, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. And over the years, that man's honour and integrity elevated him to become the most trusted employee and confident that that businessman had. Doing the honourable thing, doing the right thing, being obedient to God and being disobedient to his boss put him at odds with his boss. And things weren't very peaceful there for a little while. But being obedient to God is always the right thing to do. A fourth way of loving others is with humble living. Verse 16 says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I pondered for a while how to say this, and I think I'm going to say it like this. In various times and in various churches, my greatest sadnesses have come when somebody has said to me, no one in that church will talk to me. Or when they've said, I feel like I don't fit in because I'm just not like everybody else. I'm, I'm not from the right class or I don't hold the right sort of job or I'm an employee, not an employer or I can't afford to send my kids to the right school or I don't drive the right sort of car or I don't have the right sort of physique. I'm, I'm not sporty enough. I wear the wrong sorts of clothes. I just don't fit in to the circle. Sometimes in a church, you end up with the in crowd and you end up with those who are not in the in crowd. And generally, those who are the in crowd may not even be aware that they are the in crowd. But let me tell you, those who have not made it to the in crowd, they know very, very well that they are not on the inside. And many of them have cried bitter tears because they feel unloved, unneeded, unwanted, and that they just don't belong. And I know that if I was to tell those people who are being accused of ignoring that particular person, and there's been lots of particular people over the years, let me tell you, then they would be so sad. Why? Because either they don't know that they're doing it or they just don't know how to engage with people who are not the same as they are. They just don't know how to engage with those who have less than what they do. They don't know how to engage with people who come from broken families or with those who struggle with depression or with those who are just a little bit shy and it just takes them just a little bit longer to make friends. Now it says here, do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. What that means is don't think too highly of yourself 
but associate with the lowly. Now, I want to ask you today, are you aware of the other? Are you aware of the person who is all on their own? And I guess we've got to look at this from the perspective of in the church and in the world as well. Are you aware of the person who desperately feels a need to be included but is not? When you invite people over for dinner, do you invite them? And if they were to invite you over to their place, would you jump at the opportunity or might you be busy that day? After church, are you willing to drop a conversation that you're having with a good friend to bring a loner over into the group? Like, are you always aware, looking around at church, just instead of just being engaged with one person, have a quick glance around and see, is there somebody who's not engaged? Is there somebody who's all on their own? And would you be willing to just put that conversation on pause and to go and just hang on, I'm just going to bring this person over to, to join the conversation. And are you willing to risk that little moment of awkwardness by deliberately including the outsider? And what about engaging people out in the world? Who is it that you associate with in your life? And how much are you just associating with those who are very much like you are? from the same social scene, from the same work area. How do you engage with the lowly? Are you engaging with the lowly? Have you ever thought about this? Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Creator. He's the Redeemer. He's the Judge. He is all-powerful. He is completely holy. And if he, the Lord God Almighty, could step down from heaven to associate with me, if he could touch the leper, if he could feel the tears of the prostitute upon his feet, if he could do that, then surely we can associate with anyone, can't we? What it costs us is nothing compared to what it cost Jesus. Now, I mentioned before, some people just don't know how to associate with the lowly. Do you know how Jesus did it? He became the lowly. He gave up what he had. He gave up highest heaven to come to earth. He went from God upon his throne to a baby in a manger to a wretch upon a cross. What will we give up to associate with the lonely, with the lowly? So, in humility, make the lowly feel right at home. And never be wise in your own sight. Nobody likes to know it all. Be interested in others and listen and love. And the fifth way of loving others is by reversing revenge. The world operates on payback, eh? Uh, but we don't need to get payback. 
Judgment day is coming and the Lord will judge. What we do is love others by reversing revenge. If somebody does something bad to us, we need to pay them back by doing something good for them. Verse 20 is an interesting verse. When I was a young fellow, I used to love this. I said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, it will be like heaping burning coals upon his head. <laughs> yeah, you sort of think, we've got to clarify this motivation a bit here. We're not trying to get back at this person. We're not literally wanting to make them feel really bad and awful and by, by doing something good, that's going to make him... That's not the motivation. The motivation is simply for us to love our enemies. And what happens is when we love our enemies, well, they may just be a little bit ashamed of what they've done to us. And something that I've discovered is shame is very often the first step to repentance. Somebody once said, to repay evil for evil is manlike. To repay evil for good is devil-like, but to repay good for evil is God-like. I'll say it again. To repay evil for evil is man-like. To repay evil for good is devil-like. To repay good for evil is God-like. And that's where we've got to be at. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know, we have a constant temptation before us. A constant temptation. And that constant temptation is simply to do what comes naturally. The constant temptation is to be just like most other people. But kingdom living is about loving God and loving our neighbour. And when our love is genuine, love overcomes evil. Evil is overcome with good. And that's why I gave it the title today, Kingdom Living, Light in the World of Darkness. Because light always overcomes darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome light. I think I might have told you this before. One day, years and years ago, I wish I'd kept a copy of this, but I saw a cartoon drawn. I think it might have been a Hagar cartoon or something. And it was a picture of, it was dark outside and inside there was a candle burning. And the caption underneath the cartoon said it was a very dark night. And the door was opened and the shadow was cast into the room. And of course, that's not what happens. When you open a door on a dark night, the light lights up what's outside of the room. The light goes in outside of the room. And light always overcomes darkness. And that's why good overcomes evil. Let's pray. Lord, make us that light. Help us to love each other and to love our neighbour. Do not let us be overcome by evil but overcome evil with your good love. Give us a genuine love for each other.
and a genuine love for our neighbour so that we would love even our enemies. In Jesus' name. Amen.